Hey guys, it's Sarah. Our buddy Ian Farthing with the Bench Racing Podcast just started his second season and we wanted to give you a little peek of what he's got going on over there. So his first episode is with Wayne and we've uploaded it here for you all to listen in and hopefully you can go over to his podcast and subscribe and get those this season. So here you go. Hey racers, the 2021 season is about to kick off, so now's a perfect time to refresh your car and reload your shelves. And there's no better place to do that than Premium Sprint Parts. Premium Sprint Parts is your one-stop shop for all things sprint car parts, offering everything from wings to wheels, new or used. They've been a proud supporter of the show since day one, and are located conveniently close to the sprint car capital of the world, Knoxville Raceway. Go to premiumsprintparts.com to check out their inventory or call 515-371-9511 to talk with a sales representative. Thanks, Premium Sprint Parts. Hey, race fans. Welcome back to the Bench Racing Podcast Season 2 Opener presented by Premium Sprint Parts. I'm Ian Farthing. If you don't know me, your host for the show, as always. The time of year when all the big teams make the toe to Tulsa has come around again. It's Chili Bowl week. I'm really excited. Uh, there are 301 cars entered as of last Friday, and it is live on Flow Racing if you can't make the track down to Tulsa to the River Spirit Expo Center. As for picks, I gotta go with Christopher Bell, the Oklahoma native. He's just really, really good in a midget. Uh, Kyle Larson's always in contention as well, uh, and he's definitely up there with Christopher Bell, uh, considering all the success he had on the dirt uh, in 2020. Let's keep the intro short and sweet and move on to our guest segment of the show this week. I had a nice chat on the Zoom line with Wayne Johnson, driver of the number 2C Sprint Car with the World of Outlaws Touring Series. We talk about everything from uh, his start in racing, racing with his family, to what it takes to win Rookie of the Year with the World of Outlaws. So let's uh, roll tape on, the, on my interview with Wayne Johnson here on the Bench Racing Podcast, presented by Premium Sprint Parts. Joining us here on the Zoom line on the Bench Tracing Podcast is Wayne Johnson. And Wayne, congrats on Rookie of the Year. Thanks, Ian. Man, I tell you, uh, you know, even to get it at 49 years old, still pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, how tough was the competition with the World of Outlaws for your first year? Well, I'm not going to lie. You know, it was tougher than I really uh, thought it was going to be. Uh, we had a lot of issues going on with our car and just a few things that we just missed and uh, you know, being a rookie year, uh, I knew it was going to be tough, but it was way tougher than I thought it was going to be. I heard something about a season-long issue with your chassis. So what was the deal with that? Well, we just had some stuff going on with our Jacob's ladder that uh, the mounts were not where I thought they were. I'm not going to say they were wrong. I just, they wasn't where I thought they were. And, uh, you know, with two crew chiefs and, uh whatever you want to say they never found it and then just finally there the week before kokomo i just kind of got ticked off and we just were struggling so much and uh just went in the shop and went to work and and i'm not going to say that it was wrong i'm not saying maxim built it wrong i'm just saying it was not where i thought it was so we made some adjustments and right out of the bat you know at uh, kokomo we qualified better and and at blue i mean at uh, charlotte we actually had a lot more speed than we've had all year long so it was definitely a problem uh, for me. So do you have to throw your whole notebook from this year out the window uh, starting next year with the, the different chassis setup? Well, I would say completely throw it away, but uh, there's some things in there that we definitely can't use because like it, at uh, Kokomo, uh, you know, we were eighth quick, got through the heat race, and I don't remember where we started the feature, but 
uh, we just tightened the car up like what we had been doing all year long. <clears throat> well, with the ladder uh, spiked more than it was in previous races, the car was just way too tight. So uh, just going to have to go back and just know that, you know, having that in my head and my thoughts that you can't be that tight uh, with the ladder the way it is now. Yeah, I did see, I was watching the Dirt Vision replay a couple of days ago and you, it looked like you were plowing. Yeah, we've got, you know, we just got so much tighter. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, one of my pet peeves on the sim is a, a tight race car. I hate it. It just, you feel like you're kind of stuck because there's not a whole lot you can do. Well, when you're so tight, the car just doesn't go the right way normally. You know, normally you're wanting to go in a circle and when it's tight, shoving the nose, you, you know, you're not making a nice circle. So, uh, just tight's not, I mean, a lot of guys like tight race cars. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. So what are some of your earliest memories of racing? Well, actually, uh, I had an interview yesterday for open wheel or uh, sprint car and midget open wheel. You don't even know what open wheel is. Uh, <laughs> sprint car and midget. And, and, uh, you know, it goes way back to when I first started getting a race with my dad, you know, uh, just racing locally and, having my dad and my brothers there because we all three raced all three of uh, the brothers. And, uh, that was just, I don't know. It was just more fun. I, I should, I'm having a great time now, but just the memories back then with my family, you know, we were all racing against each other and, and, uh, we, we had Sunday dinner at my parents' house and, uh, you want to have ra bragging rights at, on Sundays, you know, between us three <laughs> boys. Yeah. So, uh, what, what car class were you running? Uh, back then we had, uh, you know, it was 1987, I believe. And we ran, uh, a, it was like a sprint car, but I don't know if you know what the super modified days were. They were lo they're a longer wheelbase, but, uh, they're a sprint car chassis type thing with, they were just called super modifieds or modifieds. And, and, yeah. uh, they, they had wings. They just wasn't as big as they are today and smaller engines and that kind of thing. But <clears throat> it was back in the super modified days. Yeah, I've seen some pictures of super modifieds. So, how did you make the transition from those to sprint cars? Well, uh, I'm gonna say around '92, uh, the 100 inch cars kind of went away. Uh, no, I mean around here they might have been around a couple more years, but they were fading out just because sprint cars were big everywhere else. And so, uh, I believe it was '91. I ventured off and started trying to run some sprint car races, and just knew that if you want to do this for very long, that you had to be in sprint cars or super modifieds. I think Oklahoma might've been one of the last States to even have uh super modifieds. Yeah, absolutely. So when, did you start running three Oh fives or did you jump right to the three sixty car? Well, back when I started, there wasn't a such thing as a three Oh five. Uh, the very first car I drove was a hundred inch wheelbase car. It had an inline six cylinder engine. Hmm. And I want to say they were like uh, 260 or 80 cubic inch or something like that. I don't really remember, but uh, you know, an old truck <clears throat> back in the day had inline six cylinder engines, either Ford or Chevy. And uh, that's what I started with. That was a, that was a rule that they had back then. It was called a modified and they raced without the wing and it was an inline six cylinder engine. So the, the second year I ever raced was a V8 was a 360 but then it had a had a uh, carburetor on it instead of injection so you know all that's evolved in so many years uh, that was a long long time ago buddy yeah i uh 
for the first time this year, I really got to look under the hood of sprint cars, 360s at Knoxville and with you with the 410. And the way that the fuel injection works is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. You know, actually, uh, it's just like having four carburetors on there, basically, you know, four butterflies for each cylinder and uh, a nozzle which squirts fuel in there for every cylinder. So uh, that's old technology, really, you know, an old, <clears throat> excuse me, an old Corvette years ago had that technology. And I'm not sure that that's where it all come from, but but uh, it's evolved pretty good now because we're, you know, we got three inch butterflies on those four in, or on those four tens. Yeah. So when you were growing up, starting out your racing career, what racers did you look up to? Well, you know, when I first started, we just raced locally here at home. And, and uh, as a, as a 15 year old kid, I didn't know what the Knoxville nationals was. I had no clue. You know, uh, my parents never traveled away for races and dad just raced locally here. So I didn't know what the Knoxville nationals was until, Oh, you know, probably till I was about 18 years old and then wanted to, you know, become a sprint car racer and, and knew where I needed to do. And, but I track, you know, I started traveling a little bit going to just Arkansas and Kansas and Texas. And, uh, you know, back in the day, in those early days, that was a long trip to go to, you know, to Texas or Arkansas or Kansas. And, you know, today, um, that's not a long trip at all. Yeah. Um, so, um, who are your mentors as a developing driver? Was it just your dad really, if you well, were going out racing know, with him? Dad, you know, my dad was a big influence. Uh, he wasn't very good. My dad wasn't very good race car driver. And, but I had, uh, a couple of brothers that raced before me and one of my brothers was really good and, and, uh, he taught me a lot, but there was a lot, you know, Steve Kinzer was my hero still is. Um, but, uh, you know, on the local level, you know, I had a, uh, one of my favorites, his name was, they called him the flying Dutchman and his name was Dutch Terstege. And, uh, you know, he was just a cool old guy that would talk to me when I'd go to the pits and show me things and actually got to racing my very first year starting. And, and, uh, that thought that was pretty cool, but growing up sitting in the stands, he, he, you know, I had a lot of favorites, you know, you, how you do, but, but, uh, Dutch was probably one of the, one of, uh, my favorite that raced on the small track at Oklahoma city, which was a quarter mile. And then they had a half mile track that they raced also. And a guy named Stan Constant was a big mentor. I actually worked out of his shop for a little while. But Stan, they called him the one arm bandit because uh, when he was born, uh, his left arm was basically amputated just below the elbow. And he didn't have a hand and he raced and he kicked butt. So wow. Pretty cool. Is there a particular season that you think of as like your big break? Oh, man. Um, you know, I would honestly say that probably the biggest break that I ever had was was uh, getting to compete at Knoxville full time uh, in 2002. And uh, I ran, you know, I ran the gum out series, the World Vowel gum out series before that and uh, just drove for a lot of really good car owners. But uh, I think what really put my name on the map was racing Knoxville every week. And that was in that Beaver drill and tool car, the 12X car from Kansas City. Uh, I honestly feel like that was probably what people recognized uh, and said, hey, who is this Wayne Johnson guy? So I would I would honestly say that car. Mm -hmm. So how do you get hooked up with Todd Carlisle? Wow. Uh, you know, I was injured in 2010 and Todd, uh, Todd's been a car owner for years. Uh, he used to run uh, or used to own a car that was driven by Dennis Parks in the NCRA days. And uh, I knew Todd, knew Todd for years. Uh, and in 2010, I was hurt. 
And in 2011, I was trying to come back on my own, uh, trying to field a team on my own. And, and, uh, and Scott and, uh, Todd was at a, had a race and we sit down, had a chat. The next thing you know, uh, we were together. So we've been together since two th- the end of 2011. Wow. So, um, uh, how big is the jump from, uh, the ASCS to the world of outlaws? Well, you know, there's a lot of good race car drivers uh, in ASCS and at the local level and everywhere. But I say this in every interview because this is the only way that I can put it. Uh, it's the speed of the game. And it's like ASCS or whatever is like the minor leagues. And, you know, the outlaws are like uh, the the pros, you know. It's just like uh, like a minor league pitcher getting called up to the pros, you know. It takes them a bit. Yeah, uh, I think I felt a little bit of that curve just with the iRacing, the way you can, like, rank up with classes. Because I started in 305s, and you in those sort of series, you can make a mistake and maybe not lose any positions. But as soon as you move up to a 410, you make a stake, they're all over you. Right. And, you know, I've I've done that iRacing also, and they've done a great job uh, with making the transitions from car to car because that is actually – it's it's pretty realistic how much different the cars drive from like 305 to the 360 to the 410 you know you know yourself which one's the hardest to drive and it's pretty accurate it really is yeah the the 360 i think is the happy medium it's probably my favorite the 410 down the straightaways it really fishtails a lot it's kind of hard to control and then the 305 just really doesn't have much power so it's it's and it's it's pretty darn accurate because just like the 410 thing, you know, when it gets slick, you know, we're pedaling. And and even in that game, when the racetrack's got a ton of grip in it, you don't have to worry about pedaling, you know. And it, it don't get that crazy down the straightaway, but way straightaway. But when it gets slick, it definitely does. And that's what I'm saying. It's I'm gonna say it's it's spot on as far as how the cars drive differently. Yeah, well, that's really cool. I have definitely since the school year started, I've been. I've been off of the sim for a while and I just got back on and I was really rusty. <laughs> yeah. I haven't yeah. done it since March or April or whenever it was that we got back to full-time racing and I haven't done it since, but I wasn't any good at it anyway. So it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the 410 is just crazy. I, the step up from the 360, cause I, I've been running the 360 for probably eight months and I'm, about ready to move up to the full-time 410s i've been doing a lot of test sessions and stuff and that it seems fun i i my ultimate goal is eventually go to the world of outlaws i racing series i don't know if that'll ever happen but i really am trying to get really good at it well i tell you what when you move up to that 410 thing the setups are everything and uh you know who you need to track down on here and actually get him get an interview for your podcast but and get some setups from him. Christopher Bell's really good at that. And uh, I'm not supposed to tell anyone, but he gave me a setup one time, and it really made 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 me look good. <laughs> oh, your secret is safe with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what track type suits your driving style best? Uh, I would say big tracks. You know, big half miles. You know, Oklahoma City. Growing up, it was a big flat half mile fairgrounds track, and uh, just always done better on the big tracks. I've won a lot of races on quarter miles and three eighths or whatever, but uh, just keeping the car nice and straight <coughs> is uh, kind of my forte. And, and that's something that uh, you just learn uh, early on, you know, running the half mile. Uh, 
Yeah, the problem I have with short tracks is, especially in the slower cars like the 360 and the 305, it's so narrow. It's a lot narrower than, like, Knoxville and Eldora. And the car will actually, like, scoot out toward the wall sometimes. Yep, and that's exactly, I'm telling you, that game's really realistic. Uh, if you could feel that in your butt, uh, that's a lot of what you feel in a real car. And what, and what cars do, you know. Do you like a big, slick uh, surface, or do you like uh, a wet and heavy, like, really hammer-down racetrack? I would rather it be slick from top to bottom. Um just because uh, I think that the older you get, the more finesse you have. And it's definitely easier to pass when it gets slick. When it's heavy, everybody's just hammer down and follow each other, you know? Yeah, I, I actually ran a race on iRacing uh, two days ago, and I couldn't make any passes. And as soon as it got slick, you can kind of finesse the car and run different lines and be equal. Right. Same, same type deal. Yep. Yeah. Cause when it's heavy, it's just so bottom dominant. If you run the top, you're just taking the longer way around. It's not any faster. That's exactly right. Yep. And that's the way it is with real race cars too. You know, you just get in line and, and follow each other. Yeah. So what, what do you think of as your biggest win yet? Uh, well, you know, at I 80, they had a, um, I don't remember what they called it now. My brain just, they, they had a fall brawl uh, and it was a two day event. If you won both events, you won 50 grand extra. And I won that in 2014, I believe. And that was the biggest money win I've ever had in my career, you know, and that was $63,000 or something. But uh, honestly, the biggest win would have to be uh, the, the very first prelim night of the Knoxville nationals, uh, you know, when you want, when you win one of those races, it's a big deal because everyone's there, you know, there's 25,000 fans in the stands that see you do it. And, uh, that would probably be the biggest win for sure. I mean, between those two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those big money races are, it's really fun to watch the drivers just go at it every lap. Yeah. That race was crazy. Uh, I won the prelim night. And like I say, you had to win both nights to get the money. I won the prelim night and then and then uh, in the feature, we were running, I think, third or fourth or something like that. And about halfway through the race, they had a red flag. And we are able to stop and adjust on the car. And then after that, on the restart, we got going on it, got going and got by those guys and got the lead. But before that caution came out and they had an open red, we were in trouble. We wasn't going to win the money. So, you know, those things really stand out. And you remember those uh, or I remember those like they were yesterday. Cause I remember stopping and talking to the boys and said, man, we're not going to win this thing if we don't make some adjustments. And but we made some adjustments and we made the right call because we ended up winning the race. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your, some, what are some of your favorite uh, tracks and events to race? Well, Knoxville nationals is one of them, you know, the Kings Royal Eldora, uh, the national open and the Pennsylvania, you know, there's so many that they're, they're just huge races anymore, but, uh, it's, you, you can't, I mean, you can't deny that the, the Knoxville nationals is the biggest race that we have. Yeah, I did. I went to the Knoxville nationals in 20, 2018, I think, and or no 2019 actually. And it was, the atmosphere is amazing. And then I went, I went to the three sixties this year and the atmosphere is pretty similar i mean i might be a little bit biased because i because i had you know nate my driver who i was pit crewing but it still was it still felt the excitement was the same 
Yeah, that two weeks of nationals, you know, because it goes straight from the 360 nationals into the 410 nationals. It's it's definitely the atmosphere. There's no other there's no other race like that. I mean, you go to the national open. There's a lot of people, but there's just not 25,000. And the Kings Royals right up there with it. But uh, you know, Knoxville is a sacred place for sprint car racing, and that's like I say, uh, I knew when I wanted to be a sprint car racer that if I didn't go to Knoxville, that I was never going to make a career out of it. Mm -hmm. So it seems like those two weeks could be pretty taxing on your number of engines and number of cars and chassis that you have. Because, you know, there's the 360s straight into the front row and ultimate challenge at Oski and then right into the Knoxville Nationals. Yeah, a lot of guys have different cars prepped and ready sitting there for the Knoxville Nationals. I know we did. We always ran our other stuff at those other races. That way we knew we were okay for the 410 Nationals. But, uh, you know, with the schedule with like what we do now with the Outlaws, it's it's uh, you just go wide open all the time. So it's really not that much different anymore. Um, I, and, and I just look at it as a new, as, a, as another race, you know, but it's, it's pretty crazy that, uh, you know, when you do it just as a hobby or just to do it part time, that uh, when you show up for Knoxville and you got to unload and do all that stuff, it's definitely a lot of work. Yeah. So are you going to be running the 360 Nationals next year or is Peevely going to throw a wrench in your plans? No, I won't be able to do the 360. Uh, you know, I'm signed up to go back for my sophomore year. Uh, with the world of outlaws so uh, there's a conflict of interest unless there's a big rain out weekend and peevely and knoxville races then there's a possibility but uh you know then i'd have to i'd actually have to get uh, the outlaws to let me do it also are you excited to run i-70 for the first time i am uh you know uh, not sure where they are with finishing or completing that place but i know it's on the schedule but yeah you know there's so many old school races that I've seen videos of and you know just have a new place come back to life that's been shut down for years you know we don't have enough racetracks it is you know we they're shutting down more than they are opening back up or building new ones yeah uh, I drove by there every time I went on a road trip for quite a while and it's really cool to see them rebuilding I have seen on social media they're getting pretty close to being done and I can't wait to go out and watch the show for the first time yeah, I'm excited because I've just heard so much about it. I've never got to race there, so uh, hopefully uh, they get done and all the COVID stuff opens up and we get to go there. Yeah, so uh, how's that new trailer that you bought? I I remember talking about when we were at Lakeside that you were selling your old trailer and getting a new one. Uh, actually, it's awesome. Uh, we've been busting our butts getting it ready. Uh, actually, uh, I believe right after Christmas, maybe first of the year, uh, or right after once we get everything loaded in it we're going to do a uh, facebook live and do a like a you know how they used to do oh, well you probably don't even know what mtv is but they used to do mtv cribs and you'd go to all these famous people's houses and they'd show you all this stuff and we're going to do a facebook live and go through the trailer and show show the fans actually how much work goes into a trailer and being organized and how everything has its own spot and that kind of thing so it's gonna be kind of cool yeah i'll make sure to tune into that uh it's always been interesting to me how you guys can cram so much stuff into a trailer, like enough to build an entire new car and still be legally allowed to go down the highway for hundreds of miles. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, you uh, when you came to Lakeside there and hung out with us, I, I kind of gave you a tour there. And 
I think you're pretty shocked on how much stuff was actually in that trailer. Yeah, like you you have a concept of how much stuff, but until you see it, it doesn't really register. Right, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so how has the average race night changed since the season picked back up after the COVID shut down? Well, it just stuck because there was no fans, you know, and that's why, uh, you know, I shouldn't say why we do it, but without fans, it's not the same. Uh, and, you know, you guys don't, you know, the fans don't get to come to the pit area and you don't get to have that interaction with them after the race. And so it's been really impacted. You know, Charlotte at the end of the year was just, it was amazing to look up there and, and only have 2,000 people or whatever it was in the stands when that place is normally packed. And then even in the pit area, there's normally no place to stand to watch uh, at Charlotte. So it's it's really crazy. And I'm really hoping that uh, when racing gets back going here in February, that that uh, all the COVID stuff's gone away and, and uh, it's not going to be gone away. But hopefully with uh, – with all of it, we can get back and, you know, be back to normal, as you say, at least have fans in the stands and have fans that can come to the pit area afterwards. Yeah. So how was it driving at Charlotte? Because from from Dervision, you can't see a thing. It was so dusty. Uh, it was horrible. Yeah. There was some video and some on on or uh, or uh, uh, GoPro footage from my car that you couldn't see four foot in front of you. It was ridiculous. It was like going down the car, down the highway with your parents in the car and it's really foggy. Uh, that's what mm -hmm. it was like. And it was just amazing that there was not anything, any more cars or anything tore up. And, uh, that's actually the last night, you know, we, we had to take a provisional to get in the feature. And that was one of the reasons I just made a few laps and pulled in because it was the further back you went, you know, there was, it was just lights out. It really was. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's pretty funny that that track was so dusty because that's the track that Humpy Wheeler promotes. And he, I remember hearing stories, he hates dust. So it's pretty funny that that was the dustiest race of the year. Well, I'd heard so many stories and I don't know how true it is, but right down the road, Hend Rick Hendrick owns a few dealerships and uh, through the grapevine, through the pit area, I guess uh, Rick was calling Humpy wanting to know who was going to come wash all his vehicles in his lot <laughs> because it was that dusty. It would travel that far. Yeah. Uh, do you feel a lot of momentum rolling into Volusia in February with uh, figuring out what was wrong right before the end of the year and then your performance picking up a little bit? Yeah, I feel way more confident. You know, I felt confident going into Volusia last year and then it just bump, bump, bump. You know, it just, it just kind of stunk up the place. But uh with, with knowing the changes we made and, and, and right away what the car felt like, we still got a lot of work to do. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm pumped up. I'm, uh, we're leaving to go on vacation tomorrow, and I'm, I'm uh, already thinking past vacation and, and ready to uh, get to Volusia and get back with it. That's the only way you can, uh, you know, what's the old saying, uh, get right back up on the horse that bucked you. That's what I'm ready to do. Yeah, uh, I can't wait. I'm going to try to follow the world of outlaws a little bit closer this year because I was I was really following the ASES for most of this fall after, 360, after the 360 Nationals. So I'm going to make sure to watch all the Dirt Vision stuff because I bet you're going to be tearing it up. Well, I hope so. That's the game plan. Like I say, uh, I just feel like we're going to be way more competitive. And, uh, you know, who, who if, if all the stars align, we'll win us a race or two, hopefully. 
Yeah. So what are some qualities you think, you think make up a good racer? Oh man. Well, you gotta be fit for one, that's for sure. But, uh, just the drive and the determination, uh, you know, your worth ethic, you've got to study and, you know, I was the worst person that you'd ever meet going to school back in the day when I was in school. And, uh, they always told me, you know, you got to work hard, you know, and I just never, I just, all I want to do was be a race car driver, but, uh, it's all, it stems back to when you're a little kid and, and, uh, it's worth ethic, you know, what, what your parents or whoever instills in you, uh, and just knowing that you, you, uh, you got to want it bad. It's like anything in the world. If you want to be a race car driver, you got to work hard at it. And, uh, I really, I really think that's more than anything. I think there's guys that probably didn't have any talent when it comes to race car driving, but they focused and worked hard and made it happen. And I might've been one of them. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I really, really want to be a race car driver. And I feel like all the work that I'm doing to try to get myself in, in and around the sport is starting to pay off. Cause I might, maybe I might go karting next year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's what it takes. You know, you just got to, I think me and you had a conversation about that. You just got to, I've always said that if you don't ask for it, it'll never happen. And you just got to knock on every door. And if they, and if you knock on the door and it closes, then you kick it in and you just keep on and keep on and keep on. <clears throat> One thing that, that uh, a story I can tell you, and you may know about this, but Carl Edwards, you know, I remember back in the speed sport days. And I don't know if you know what speed sport was, but it was a, it was a, it was a little newspaper that went out. And in the back of it had uh, ads, and he put his picture in there. He bought an ad every week, and it was Carl Edwards. I'll race anything at any time. Blah 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 blah. You know, here's my phone number if you really want a good driver or this, that, and the other. And look where he ended up. Yeah. So you just never know. You know, it's just uh, you got to do everything you can to promote yourself, and and like I say, when one door closes, kick in the next one and keep at it. Yeah, I think that that probably sums up what I want my mentality to be and what I'm trying to have it be. Cause my, my mom wanted is worried about the safety of racing. And I wrote her a paper about why it's safe. Well, yeah, it's something my grandmother used to always do. She, she, I would go see my grandmother every Friday before I went and race. Cause she was just worried to death about me getting hurt or whatever in a race car. But if you just go look at the numbers, you know, you're safer in that race car than you are today going with your mom to the grocery store. So that's what you need to tell her. Yep. And uh, I saw a graph that uh, cart racing is safer than Little League Baseball. Really? See, there you go. You're doing your homework. And this is the truth. You know, that's there's a there's it's just I mean, people say you're crazy. You know, that's that's unsafe or whatever. And, yeah, there's a lot of guys hurt. A lot of guys killed in the sport, but the numbers are way smaller than if, like I said, just getting your normal passenger car going to the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, so I, I looked at a lot of graphs and since the seventies, it's been just trending down more and more. Yes. Yeah. Sprint car, sprint cars back in the day were really dangerous because there was no safety, you know, heck back in the early seventies, they didn't have roll cages. And you talk yeah. about crazy. Those guys are crazy. Yeah. Um, and I did, I talked to Darren Pittman who has been doing a ton of work at the sprint car safety council and the stuff that they do to keep it safe is it's really good for the sport. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's so many safety, uh, items, seats, the seats are better. The helmets are better than the suits. Just so much stuff went on. And even in the cars, 
you know, I can remember uh, back when I started, I mean, my race suit was like wearing this shirt. It was just a piece of cloth. I mean, yeah, it was fireproof, but it was super thin. And uh, the seat I, seat I used was just a like a really short low back seat with a headrest that wasn't even mounted. So there's been lots and lots of uh, safety stuff that's come along. But more than anything, uh, you know, we needed that because the cars are so much faster today than they were back then. Yeah, and I've been watching some videos uh, of sprint car crashes, and the wing cushions everything when you flip. Yeah, for sure. You know, that big wing takes a big lick uh, as far as taking the energy out of the car. You know, if it just gets up and spins around or whatever, that that wing catches so much air that it, it slows everything down, and, you know, definitely the impacts are – uh, as a sprint car driver, I want that thing to stay on the car. You know, you see guys crash and that thing gets tore off and then they keep flipping. Those those flips are pretty violent. Uh, one of the hardest crashes that I've ever taken, honestly, was at the Chili Bowl in a midget without a wing. And on that little bitty track, you wouldn't think that you would hit very hard. But that's one of the hardest hits I've ever taken was at the Chili Bowl. Yeah, and um, there are lots of videos of – because when non-wings, like, get in the air, they stay in the air. And then if, like, if you go over the berm at Lernerville in a wing, the wing pushes it back down into the ground so you don't go super high in the air and start flipping. Right, exactly. That wing just takes up so much energy. It does. It, it, uh, it's definitely a big fa- uh, safety fe- feature. You know, and all the, wing, all the non-wing guys say, oh, that big old wing thing or whatever. But we're, uh, we're going a lot faster than those guys. Yeah, well, Wayne, thank you so much for coming on the show for an interview. Anytime. Always a pleasure to see you, talk to you, and uh, finally glad to get on. Yeah, thank you. So we'll have to hang out at Lakeside next year sometime. That sounds good, man. Hopefully you and your dad can make it out again and uh, come hang out. All right. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and start recording here. All right. Well, thank you so much, Wayne. Hey, man. So that's a wrap on my interview with Wayne Johnson here on the Bench Racing Podcast presented by Premium Sprint Parts. As always, big thanks to Wayne for taking some time out of his busy schedule to record an interview. If you'd like to support the Bench Racing Podcast, please subscribe and leave a nice review. That'll really help spread the show to new listeners and audiences. And if you'd like to submit a listener question or comment, go to anchor.fm slash podcast slash message. Or leave a comment on one of the Facebook posts announcing a new episode, and I'll make sure to include it in the show. Uh... Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week with another great interview.